The Leaning In Leadership Podcast is presented to you by Olivet Nazarene University and Shine.fm. This is a place to lean in to good leadership practices through conversations with great leaders. Lean in and listen close as your host, Dr. Carlos Lonberger, discusses a wide variety of leadership topics to encourage, equip, and empower your leadership. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Leaning In Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Carlos Lonberger, and we are glad that you have joined us this month and are listening. Uh, we always love when you uh, like and share the content wherever you consume your podcasts. So uh, wherever you can find the shine.fm podcast channel on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, you name it, we're there. Um, just like, share, comment. And uh, if you enjoy this content, we are glad to have you here today. With me, my guest today is a good friend of mine and colleague. Her name is Dr. Amber Residori. Amber, welcome. Glad you're here today. Thank you, Carlos. It's good to be here. Amber is currently the Dean of the College of Professional Studies at Olivet Nazarene University. Before that, she was a social work prof and the department chair uh, for the social work and criminal justice department here at the university. Uh, Before coming to Olivet, she served for 20 plus years as a licensed clinical social worker, uh, developing programs for transitional living, independent living, you name it, she has led it in the field of social work. And Amber, I'm just really glad to have you here today. And um, today, we're going to talk a little bit specifically about women in leadership and all that kind of comes with that, the you know challenges that women face uh, to to rise up in leadership, uh, how we can facilitate women in leadership, and and all of those kinds of discussions that go into this bigger conversation. So if you would, just kind of start off, give us a kind of general background and history of some gender-based assumptions in leadership roles. Well, I always like to start with, um, I have been leading in various roles since I was about 15. Um, and as I progressed through leadership roles, I found myself as the only woman or sometimes the only among a very few amount of women in the boardroom. And so I, I had the privilege of working with a lot of men. And this topic to me is, um, is important because we do need to, if we're going to crash through the glass ceiling, then as women, we need to show up and be there yeah. and understand what biases already exist. And empowering women doesn't mean that we have to disempower men. And mm-hmm. so there are definitely, um, historically, if you look at the research, there are some uh, stereotypical things that we believe about women and men in leadership. So when you look at leadership as a whole, male or female, there are qualities uh, that people assign to effective leadership. Charisma, they're inspiring, decisive, unifying diplomatic, visionary, ethical, results-oriented, and dependable. When you go into the literature, when you kind of look at um, what the literature says about how we view qualities that we assign to men and women in leadership and how they kind of stack up against that list that I just went through, men are typically described as their providers and they're assertive and competent, individualistic, goal-oriented, whereas women are seen as motherly, 
and caretakers and generous and cooperative and creative, empathic and understanding. And so you can even hear like the tone of the terms, right? Like one is uh, strong and the other can be seen as or heard as even described as weak. So the first time I heard you present on all of this, you came and talked to my graduate leadership course. And uh, it was just really interesting um, because the kind of foundational starting piece of all of this for you was a very interesting experiment that you did uh, with your daughters and some other leaders. So kind of tell that story a little bit and kind of unpack that piece of it. Sure. So I was asked by the local community, a woman's group, to to present on um, ethical, effective female leadership. And so I began to think about, like, well, is it really different, right? Like, is effective leadership different if you're a woman? Is ethical leadership different if you're a woman? And so I asked my two daughters, teenagers at the time, two male executives and a female administrative assistant. It sounds like the start to a really bad joke, but that's what I did. And I asked them these three questions. What comes to mind when I say effective ethical female leadership? Is there a difference between effective ethical leadership for males and females? And do you think there are certain assumptions made about male and female effective ethical leadership? So interestingly, they all answered pretty much the same. So you have a 13-year-old girl and a 50-year-old executive, and they all pretty much said the same thing. And what they said was there's no difference. They don't see a difference between uh, effective leadership is effective leadership and ethics are ethics. However, they all saw distinct differences in how males and females approach leadership and ethics which I thought was interesting. And they all listed assumptions that are made about males and females. Um, They all saw women as more empathic and people-centered, and therefore women spent more time considering how decisions impact others, whereas they saw men as more task-oriented and focused on power and getting ahead. And then interestingly, they all expected women to be more ethical than men. Really? Yes, except in one area. They didn't expect women to be more ethical when it came to confidentiality. Oh, right? That hurts. Um, (laughs) They all also expressed more disappointment in women. They're more disappointed when a woman is not ethical, behaves unethically than a man, because they don't expect it. So because it's unexpected, it's a little more hard to swallow? I think so. Exactly. Because they expect women to be more people-centered and more communal than when they let down people and the community, except in the area of confidentiality, they expect men to be more confidential, which of course stings as a woman. But I found it super interesting that a 13-year-old girl, a 15-year-old girl, 40 and 50 year old men and an administrative assistant, a female admin, like the messages are very clear from a teenager to a middle aged man or woman. They pretty much, they said it in different words, but they pretty much said the same things. Yeah. So then I dug into the literature and the literature really supported what they believed. That's interesting that that variety of age group and demographics would pretty much come down more or less on the same side of this topic, right? So let's then talk about how that works its way into an organizational setting. You know, you talked about 
how many different board of directors have you served on in the last, you know, however many years and often finding yourself to be one, the only or one of few women in the boardroom on those uh, leadership teams, these kind of perceptions and uh, maybe unconscious biases and uh, ways of operating um, based on gender differences how does that actually translate into what we often see and experience? And, and especially from a female leadership perspective, uh, maybe some things that you've experienced in the real world boardroom in that setting. Perfect. So there is a ton there. So yeah, I have a habit of asking loaded questions. So no, that's perfect. So let me, <laughs> let me give you a loaded answer, right? That's great. So when I, when I went to the uh, literature, what I found is that because we use these tender terms to describe women in leadership, mm -hmm. uh, what emerges is the, the qualifications um, that, you know, she's empathic and she's understanding and communal and cooperative. What people then perceive is that we are the ideal follower, mm -hmm. right? So if society views women with these attributes, then we become the ideal follower. And if male traits are dominant and ambitious and self-sufficient, then they are the ideal leader. Right. And so you're, you're already, just because of societal norms, you're having to shift that. And what the leadership described is that if a woman shows up with those weaker, those tender, when they <laughs> show up with those qualities that are inherently female, then they are seen as weak mm -hmm. and ineffective and lesser leaders. However, if a female shows up, the literature said that if they show up with kind of those male characteristics, and we all know women who, you know, they're very ambitious and they're driven and they're kind of wired more like those traits that I listed for a male. Right. Um, I tend to be like that, is that the literature describes them as they're seen as playing a role. They're trying to act like men. They're not authentic. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they're ugly. Mm. Like we go so far as saying that they're unattractive. And so, so we translate it that way into physical present presentation. Yes. So a woman in leadership is left with like, run with your female traits, but be weak and ineffective and minimize. Right. Or lead with your male inherent traits and be seen as you're playing a role, you're not authentic, and in fact, you're ugly. Right? Like what a bind. Okay, so in that situation, what is a female leader supposed to do? I mean, because you're, you really kind of look, seem shortchanged one way or the other. So what do you do? Right. I found uh, there were clear competencies. Like if any leader, male or female, there were competencies. There were five of them, and I won't go through all of those. But overwhelmingly, women, if you break down like competent behaviors under these categories, of competency awareness is that women we we actually inherently have those qualities the, what what kind of gets in our way sometimes is um there's a few things is one is we wait so like promotions men automatically assume the literature says men assume they're ready for it right like yeah i'm ready for that promotion women sit back and they're thinking again about how it will impact everyone, how it will impact my children, my home, my work. And so while we're contemplating the impacts, men have already accepted the promotion, right? Oh, they applied and accepted. Sometimes women can move, we can advance, and we don't make room at the table for other women, mm -hmm. right? Like that's something that we need to own and be aware of. Sometimes we get into the boardroom, we've been invited in and we, 
we don't put our elbows on the table and really engage. And that hurts us, right? right? If you're going to break through a, a glass ceiling, then, then get in there, right? Like sweep up the glass and let's get to work. And then there are some traits. There are things, there are uh, meetings. The literature says that meetings are the best place to showcase mm. your, um, you're ready for leadership. And in meetings, you'll often, not always, but you'll often see women kind of holding back mm. um, or being talked over. There's some great studies on how women are cut off seven to eight more times in a meeting than a man is. And so they have to restate and restart. And so there, there's also, there's dynamics that happen that we do to ourselves, but also dynamics that happen that, that we kind of need to navigate a little better. Yeah. So let's talk about some of those uh, uh, dynamics within the actual within the room, right? right. Um, so a female leader is there and she, she has the opportunity. Um, you've talked uh, when we were in my class about uh, a couple different things about piling on and idea theft. Uh, so kind of unpack what those uh, do to a female leader sitting in that leadership room. Sure. There were a couple of research studies that I read where they described this piling on, and it's a phenomenon that happens in meetings where a man will make a point, another man restates that point. They might, you know, use a couple different words, but they restate it, and it reinforces the point. And that's called piling on, and it's a way that men show agreement and solidarity. Okay. Women tend to be uncomfortable with piling on. Instead of echoing and piling on and joining that solidarity agreement, sometimes we're sitting back and we don't do that. So looking for ways that we can demonstrate agreement and disagreement with a consensus mm -hmm. helps us in that piling on dynamic or just knowing that it's there, it's happening and how are we contributing or not. That's great. You talked about idea theft in there as well as another kind of component uh, with being interrupted in meetings and piling on. So what is that, how does that idea theft uh, that we don't even notice all the time, how does that kind of play out? So idea theft is when a woman originates a good idea, men don't pile on, they're mm -hmm. not sure. So there, there isn't piling on and maybe because she hasn't been piling on. So then they wait for a man to restate her idea, and then they start piling on. And that feels very much like idea theft for a woman. And in some cases, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And so when idea theft occurs, we have a couple of options, right? Like sit there and forget about it and quietly just endorse the idea theft. Another woman in the room could also speak up, or man, and say things like, that was a really good idea, Jasmine. Um, I like the way that Carlos reshaped that. Or you can address it yourself, right? Like you can say, that was an excellent way to restate my original idea. I like what you did with that. Yeah. And, and not in an abrasive way, but recognizing where the idea came from. Where it really came from, yeah. That's, yeah. And I think giving credit where credit is due is probably a huge part of this conversation because we might blow past, without even realizing it, where the idea actually came from. Yes. Yes. Many times it's probably not. It probably feels like idea theft. There are some people who that's what they do, male or female. 
But when I was introduced to the term piling on, it suddenly made a little, it made sense in a different light. Yeah. So just a question for you. After you've done this research, you, you did your experiment with your daughter and the administrative assistant and the administrator or the uh, supervisor there. Did you start to see these things a little more evident in your meetings? Yes. And there's a part of me, um, like what, anytime you research something, right? It's kind of like when you go buy a new car, suddenly you see that car everywhere on the streets. Yeah. Uh, once, you, once you dig into something and research it to a certain level, yes. So you start to see the piling on, you start to see, you know, idea theft. Another thing that I found in the literature was that women don't just break through glass ceilings. Women are often, when they're promoted, they're given jobs where they're walking a tightrope. So it's not just a glass ceiling that you're going through. You're also managing really touchy, fragile, risky positions. And part of that is probably inherent gifts of community and, you know, bringing people together. And But how interesting that you're promoted, but it's in a very, it's in a position that has inherent risks and you have to walk these kind of tight ropes. Interesting. Um, so that, I also started seeing that, right? Like, oh, she's so good at that. Let's have her deal with that. Yeah. And, you know, I, after I first heard you speak on this topic, I, my next team meeting, right? I was leading my team and I went, oh, there it is. Oh, there, like, hey, do you realize you've interrupted? He has interrupted her, you know, now four times. Like, whoa, okay, stop. Let's stop for a moment. And, and I literally talked to my team about some of these things that you had spoke on about interrupting and being aware of what we're doing and how we're interacting male to female with each other in those team meetings. Carlos, I'm so glad you said that. That's one of the best gifts. When there are people in positions of privilege, the way that you make, you have to make space then for other folks. Yeah. So you stopping your meeting and bringing attention to it makes everyone aware of the dynamic that's happening. I had a professional colleague who sent me an email with an article from Harvard. It was research from Harvard that said that women were interrupted, you know, this many more times. And that, you know, like the title of the article was something about how, you know, women talk too much. Mm. And, the, and the article was debunking this idea, like they're not talking too much. They have to restart seven and eight times, yeah. right? Because they're so interrupted. And if you would just let them finish their thought. But he didn't just send the article. He sent it with a note that said, if I've ever done this to you, I'm so sorry. That's and from now on, I'm going to be aware. And if I'm in a meeting and that's happening... I'm going to identify that dynamic so that I help stop it. And that's good. Yeah. So thank you. That's how we make room at the table for everyone. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's kind of where I want to go next because last month, my very special guest was my brilliant wife who, you know, well, and who we've talked about that you two are actually very similar in a lot of ways that are probably a little unconventional to the historically accepted stereotypes of women in leadership. And I, I said last month, that I'll say it again, about her, and I would say the same about you. I have a master's in leadership and a doctorate in leadership, and all of the books that I've read about great leaders and all of the things that they've done have described her and you more than they've described anything that I'm good at. Thank strong, you, Carlos. You're welcome. And, and it's true. But strong leaders aren't determined by gender. 
in, in my mind. So, you know, for instance, half of my leadership team are females somewhere about there. But I want to know how can I, as a senior leader in my area, what can I be doing? What can I be looking for? And uh, how can other male leaders be giving women an opportunity to rise in leadership? Uh, what kind of things should they be looking for to give those female leaders that type of opportunity? That is a great question. So I think there are little things like if we're electing a secretary to take minutes for the meeting, is it always the female that's on the team? Mm. Do males volunteer for that? Or is that only the ladies? If lunch is going to be ordered in, is that always the ladies? Um, if we're cleaning up the room after the meeting, is that always the ladies? Thinking about bringing plates and forks for our social get-together, is that always the ladies, right? Like there's these little things that we do that we say we're, you know, we're progressive and we've moved on. But when push comes to shove, you know, if, if there's going to be a public meeting in front of everyone, it's all the guys on the team up front. And if we're ordering lunch, the first person we think of is that highly efficient female on the team, right? So there's, there's these little things that reinforce um, you know, well, you're the ideal follower and I'll go ahead and lead. Right. So those, those jump to my mind. Um, I try to be aware of that with my teams because I lead males and females and women will quickly volunteer also mm. right? like they're also because they're communal. Oh, let me help you. And so sometimes you have to call on a man in the group. It's not that they wouldn't. They're just perfectly happy with a woman if she would like to be secretary. Right. And a woman feels like she needs to because she's watching you struggle, right? Like, oh, no. And so inviting a man to help in that different way. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. There's some really practical things there of who's, you know, do we assume that the highly efficient and capable female on the team is going to be the one that is taking care of these various details or are we actually seeing each other as on the same plane in that that's yeah so the the flip side of that question is if you were talking to a room full of young female leaders preparing to enter the workforce as you do on a regular basis with college students at Olivet what kind of things do you speak into their lives about how to break that glass ceiling? You know, I referenced earlier that, you know, if you, if you lead with your female traits, you're weak. If you lead with your male traits, we're even ugly, right? And so the answer really is to not worry about all that yeah. and to show up authentic. Be authentically you and be consistent. Be consistently authentically you and be very aware that we don't do the opposite, right? Like if men are making a space for us and then we show up, you got to be ready to show up right. and not use your weak card, right? Like, oh, you know, and your tears or your sexuality or your, like if you want to be in, if you want to sit at the table, then sit at the table. Yeah. And so, you know, those can be weapons that aren't fair, right? Like if we want to be empowered. And so how do we show up understanding the dynamic? Mm -hmm. uh, this is kind of what happens. How am I authentically and consistently who I am? Don't dummy down. I tell girls all the time, don't dummy down. If that's, you know, you don't have to be abrasive and you don't have to cut other people off. Making space for yourself doesn't mean that you clip other people. Mm. But you also don't have to dummy down. If someone's ego is getting hurt because you're bright, that's not on you, right? right? As right. long as you're being bright in a very respectful way. 
Yeah, that is very true. I, it hurts for me sometimes to see female leaders, or even any young leader for that matter, but especially female young leaders, trying to be something other than what God has actually genuinely, authentically created them to be. Because I, I see this you know, sometimes in pastors, where young female pastors, unfortunately, maybe because they've only seen male pastors think they have to be that as opposed to exactly what God has uniquely created them to be and how he's created them to lead. So I think that's that's really great. Showing up and being authentically used is critically important. I'm glad that you brought up pastors because it feels, I purposely, we purposely try to make sure that our daughters see women behind the pulpit. Mm-hmm. I believe that women can be called to ministry and I want my daughters to see women. I want them to be able to visualize that they can be called into any profession. That's great. Yeah. And and it's, I think sometimes it's easy to say that for someone who has daughters and that daughters need to see women uh, behind the pulpit leading, females leading, but you have two daughters. I have four sons. I want my sons to Mm -hmm. see that as well. And I want my sons to not so, to not think so highly of themselves as males to not be willing to follow great female leadership. Does that make oh, sense? Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that, Carlos. I think Thank it's you for example. doing that. Well, I think it's an example they need to see as well. It's easy to only say, well, young ladies need to see women in leadership. Well, you know what? Young men need to see women in leadership as well. Um, oh, I like that. So I, I think that's a, a critical piece to all of this because if we don't teach that from the beginning, when, where, how are they going to ever pick up on it? Right. No, that's beautiful. So Amber, we'll, we'll end with this. Just kind of want to, this last piece of, of the puzzle uh, is the relational kind of networking nature and differences between males and females. Uh, you talked on that a little bit. Unpack that, if you would, and how that affects female leadership. So when I dug in through the research, you'll, you'll, and this won't be a surprise to anyone, women are relational. Right. And when you looked at leadership qualities, one of the qualities in a good leader is that they network. Mm. And men were especially strong at networking, and women were especially strong at building relationships. And there's a difference. Mm. So when, uh, when we network, men work a room, and they understand how to go person to person briefly, network, build a very quick um, connection. Women, we tend to, because we're so relational, we're building a friend, right? Like, and so while a man is working an entire room, a woman is in a corner of a room and she is having a great conversation with one other person. Right. And, and so being aware of how that helps and hinders us, right? That, like some of our greatest gifts can also hurt us. That's good. That couldn't be more true for me and my wife, right? Like one of my bosses says, you know, we have a lot of friends because of me and we have really good friends because of her. And my wife and I are the same way. Everybody in the room will know that I'm there and there will be one person that my wife will know by the time we leave that room. And she knows everything. She knows how many kids they have. She knows the first car that woman drove. You betcha she does. Absolutely. And sometimes we don't think about how that impacts the way you lead. And, and that's a, a different approach that relationally uh, is still really important. And can you imagine, Carlos, if we use that to our advantage, 
right? Like be authentically who you are and who Kristen is. And while she's going deep, you're going wide. Right. So you're covering if male and female teams can just understand you don't have to be each other. Right. right? Like I'll get us a lot of people and then you're going to really get to know them. If we would just use those, those inherent gifts to our advantage. That's right. That's right. Well, my friend, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time today to talk to us about female leadership. I think it's one of those topics that leaders need to be, both female and male leaders need to be intentional and mindful of on a regular basis, uh, consistently day in and day out, because sometimes those things that we don't realize that formulate our opinions and shape our thoughts on the topic often kind of more so influence the way we behave and act than what we realize. So thank you for being here today. You're welcome. And if any, if my experiment taught us anything, yeah, it's from teenagers to middle-aged people. The messages are clear. We're sending messages about how we treat each other, the space for each other. So thank you for having me on, Carlos. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for doing it. Well, folks, thank you for joining us on this month's episode of the Leaning In Leadership Podcast. As I mentioned earlier, you can like, comment, or share uh, this episode anywhere that you consume your podcast content. You can find the shine.fm podcast channel, and we would really greatly appreciate that, that uh, you would be willing to share that with folks. Again, Dr. Residori, thank you for being with us today. And remember, when you are a leader, you're not just in a people business, your business is people. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leaning In Leadership Podcast from Olivet Nazarene University and Shine.fm. If you enjoy this episode, please comment on it, rate it, and share it wherever you stream your content. You can follow Leaning In Leadership on social media and watch for upcoming episodes released the first Thursday of every month.